heaven? No. It's Iowa. All right, Ben, I want to do six-way parlay on the Wolves-Grizzly. What's the current line? Still Timberwolves plus two and a half. Okay, I want the Wolves to cover. I want Timberwolves winning at halftime. I want points, rebounds, block shots for Cat, and I want the Wolves winning the opening tip. You take lightning bets? Yes, but you don't want any part of lightning bets. Okay, fine. A thousand bucks a point. What do you know? Cat this, cat that. What do you know? I don't know. I just know. Well, I'll tell you what I know. It's the dumbest fucking bet I ever heard of. I disagree. I disagree, Ben. It's Uncut Gems next on the Pot of Dreams. How's it going? Good Pesach out. All right, Larry, you're a Jew again. Welcome back. I made a crazy risk to gamble. And it's about to pay off. So I want the Celtics to cover. I want the Celtics halftime. I want Garnett points and rebounds. What do you know? I don't know. I just know. Well, I'll tell you what I know. That's the dumbest fucking bet I ever heard of. I disagree. I disagree, Gary. What is that? I started it. You're taking my money all over town, placing bets. I'm having very serious second thoughts. Are you serious right now? I know I fucked up. Howard, where's the money right now? Howard, got my money? Howard! Is it too late? I'm done. That means nothing. It meant nothing. Please. Give me another shot. You like to win, right? This is no different than that. Black June power, nigga. This is my fucking way. You think I'm stupid, Howard? You and your whole fucking family! I heard you resurface your fucking swimming pool. I, you know how that makes me feel. Never resurface your life is more important than my I don't life. know who said that. I told you about how things were going to go. You like the way things are going now? That's my family. Get the kids out of the house. You having a good time? Yes. This is me. This is how I win. KJ, game night. You should be stretching out. All right. Well, uh, welcome, everybody, to the Pot of Dreams. Uh, this is our Uncut Gems episode. want to welcome a special guest, our friend, Neil Orfield. Neil, how are you, buddy? I'm doing great. Uh, your friend and former coworker. I am no longer works with you guys, so uh, pretty happy to be branching out on my well, own. Yeah, I want to say uh, how jealous I am because you were so successful making millions at Daily Fantasy Sports that you thought, why do I need to go to a job that pays me less than millions of dollars a year? Uh, so yeah, I mean, yeah, so millions he, millions is overstating it for the record. Uh, but yeah, it, I was not making I was making less money than you guys were in your guys. We, we were not in the same department, uh, and frankly, I wasn't that good at my job. It made sense for me to move on. Okay, well, why don't you just tell the tell their listeners like what what do you do? So what what are you doing now? What's your gig? Yeah, so I am a daily fantasy sports professional. I make uh, the the majority of my income playing fantasy sports on DraftKings and FanDuel. 
Um, and then I, on the side, I also do content related to that uh, with Awesomeo. Uh, so I'm on, on the Awesomeo YouTube channel. You can find my shows. I do both uh, shows that are uh, related to the day's slate. So I did some NFL shows during NFL season. Now I'm doing daily MLB shows Monday through Wednesday at Awesomeo. Uh, but I also do a the one that I'm most excited about. I do a weekly show uh, called High Stakes uh, that you can also find on the Awesomeo YouTube channel where I interview top DFS players in the world. And then, you know, people related to the field, just great minds in DFS and or gambling space in general. And it's, uh, it's been going well so far. Just, just finished episode 10 coming out tonight. Yeah. So if you want to like become a Jedi master, like Neil is at, at uh, daily fantasy, listen to his podcast, watch his YouTube channel. Uh, he is literally like one of the best out there in daily fantasy. So we're super happy to have you here. I'm glad to have him, and I'm glad to say that I kind of got to see Neil's journey from being a guy who was losing money playing yeah. daily fantasy sports to a guy making quite a lot of it playing daily fantasy sports. Because I, I remember in the early days, uh, Neil was definitely in the red to start off. That's with. true. That's true. You were you were around because we were uh, at that time doing doc reviews together. So you got was, to see my progression for sure. It's it's amazing. And then you put two of the you, you, you use the term cool millimakers. That's the cool term for making. I've, I've only won one millimaker. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. I, I did Slacker. split another one four ways last year, but I've only oh, won see. solo one. Oh, I see. So you don't get to count the ones that are ties because you only took home a quarter of a million, which is I mean, I don't kind of like not even worth some, the effort, really. I mean, where, where do you draw the line? If you, if you count those, then, you you know, if somebody splits it 500 ways, 1,000 ways, which happens sometimes, did every one of those people win a millimaker? I don't know. You got to draw the line somewhere. Fair enough. Okay. <laughs> only solos count. Got it. So from one gambler to another... Uncut Gems, uh, the film is that we're, we're, we're talking about here today. Uh, amazing movie. Uh, Neil, had you seen this before? I had not seen it before uh, when you suggested it. And what was so your first time watching this? What were your impressions? Like just. Yes, yeah, so I, I went into it having no idea really what to expect because the, the takes on Twitter ranged from this movie is horrible. Why did you tell me to watch it to this was an incredible movie? I loved it. And that's even among like people who are in the DFS community, which is, you know, gambling related. So you, you, you'd expect it to be maybe more uniform. Um, I actually really enjoyed it. So I, I didn't know what to expect, but it was, uh, it was intense. And I, I don't always enjoy intense movies. Like a lot of times when I want to watch a movie, it's because I want to sit back and relax. Uh, but I was, enthralled the entire time just uh, it had it held my attention the entire movie i really enjoyed it yeah it's not a relaxing watch i mean i remember so this is the second time i've seen it um and second time for you as well eric uh probably third or fourth i've, oh, se- wow. I've seen it a handful yeah. times that's yeah. a dead giveaway but i remember arguing with eric i the first time i watched it, it was just crazy stressful i was into it i, I liked it but I, if the main character howard is aggravating to watch did you have some of those same aggra- aggravations at the choices he's making and everything that's happening yeah, I mean, it's. I think there are a lot of uh, movies and TV shows out there where characters just repeatedly make bad mistakes, and that's kind of what the movie's about. Uh, he does. He takes it to another level where the mistakes right. he's making are putting his life in jeopardy, and it's just like, come on, man, you've got a chance here to just like end this whole cycle that you're in right now, and it'd be so easy for you to end it. And he just keeps doubling down and doubling down. So yeah, it was it was pretty frustrating for me to watch, and even from the perspective of uh, somebody who is kind of in the gambling space. Uh, I, I don't love seeing gamblers portrayed that way. I don't, you know, love seeing the the gambling cycle of people who are addicted because it is such a small percentage of people who do gamble are addicted. But he obviously is uh, one of those people, and I saw I enjoyed it despite, you know, not not wanting regulation to be made based on people watching this movie. 
oh, you're worried that they're going to, it's going to harsh your, your professional opportunities because they're going to not want people like this to ruin opportunities for people like you. Interesting. Okay. Exactly. Well, yep. that's the reason why gambling is illegal, right? Is like this guy and what he does to his life. But interesting point. So he's a degenerate. He makes terrible bets. Like we, we'll get into that certainly. But like for you, Daily Fantasy, I mean, it's not even like legally classified as gambling, right? That's the reason you can do it in, yep, in all Minnesota. states. Right. Yeah. Um, do you think there's a distinction between, and this is probably a side topic, but do you think there's a distinction between like daily fantasy and actually like putting bets down and money lines and spreads um, and stuff like that? Yeah, I think there is a bit of a distinction. I mean, both of them are, they are gambling um, and they, there is skill involved too. So I think that there are people who can make good money doing sports gambling, which is what he's doing in the movie. Um, it's just about, you know, knowing when to get your money down on a line. And it's obviously not something that I know a lot about, so I can't really speak that intelligently about the differences, but I do think that they're very similar in that they are obviously gambling to some extent and they're similar to daily fantasy sports is something where uh, there's a lot of luck involved, whether you win a bet or whether you win on, on a day-to-day basis in daily fantasy sports, but then the more skilled players over time are likely to make money. So I think that they're, they're pretty similar. Yeah, I mean, there's a distinction between being an addict, this this psychotic notion that you can put all it down on one insanely large bet, and yep. professional gamblers, not that I am one at all, but whenever I've read anything about them, it's like interesting, because they're looking for just like incremental advantages here and there. They're not like, I'm going to just keep riding it out. That, that's that's an insane thing to do, and you're chasing some weird psychological high and not making like a sound strategy. But like, just think like craps or blackjack. Those have house odds, right? Where even if you're playing optimally over time, a casino is going to make money. And they're looking for those bets that are going to pay them like 60% of the time. Like if they can find a bet that pays 60% of the time, they're going to win. They're going to make money over the long term finding those kinds of bets. And it's not going to be sexy. It's not going to be one big win where you're like, I'm done. Um, And that's kind of the difference between people who are making like deliberate, conscious, logical choices and whatever Howard's doing and uncut gems. But so there's, oh, sorry, go ahead, Neil. I was and generally like professional gamblers are not putting down every dime that they own on, on a single right. bet like he does and, and, and on a parlay that has yeah. you know low low odds of paying out. Yeah, exactly. An insane, absolutely insane six way parlay, which we'll get so, into. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's there's like basically like two big bets in this movie. And but in both times you can see he's watching the game and he's screaming at the TV. Like you mentioned your your Millie Maker, Neil. I think you've told us the story the day you won it. Were you watching that game where one touchdown could win you? Or were you up there like Howard slamming the TV and screaming? Or were you just like, because you're like one of the coolest, like calmest people I've ever known. Were you just sitting back, just enjoying some whiskey? Yeah, I've never heard Neil raise his voice like ever. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm generally pretty calm. I was I was not calm watching that game. So for me, it ended up being uh, it was a weird situation where my the slate that I won on, there was a Sunday night football game. Usually there isn't on the main slates, but because of COVID, one of the games got flexed to Sunday night and they kept it on the slate. I was with with Ben's uh, Seahawks uh, against the Cardinals. And for the last 10 minutes of the fourth quarter, I needed one catch for six yards from Deandre Hopkins to win the Millie. Like it was, it was basically, I had everybody blocked out behind me. So I needed one catch for six yards because it would have put me over the hundred yard bonus. Uh, and he didn't do it the entire 10 quarter, 10 minutes of the fourth quarter that I needed that. Luckily it went to overtime on a, on a kick at the end, I believe. Uh, and in overtime, again, I, you know, three minutes in, didn't get it. Uh, they kick a field goal, which would have ended it, and I still wouldn't have won it. Uh, that time, the kicker missed the field goal, and then 
he finally got it with literally a minute left in overtime. Uh, and then uh, they kicked a field goal to win the game. So the, the field goals really helped me out, the ones they made and the ones they missed. Uh, but no, I, in this case, it was I don't usually uh, tell my wife when I have a big sweat going on in DFS. Um, but this one, I was like, I, I had told her and we watched the entire fourth quarter and overtime together. And she's trying to call me down like, you know, do, do you need should we stop watching? Do you need me to like hold your hand? And I'm like, no, I, I can't. I got to I need to watch this. Uh, I was definitely not calm, cool and collected. I was, you know, swearing at the TV. And and uh, yeah, I was I was not calling that. So that. I got two follow up questions. First one. Did you also have three guys locked in a bulletproof room while this was happening? And question number two, what was the difference between if he hadn't made the catch and once he made it in terms of dollar amounts? Um, it was, I believe I would have won 100000 if he had not gotten the catch. I think that I was in third so not place. Not a $900,000 difference. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, and I was... I w- it was so I, I wasn't guaranteed to win if he caught it because there were other teams. There are a lot of players doing well in the game, but it was likely that I was going to win once he caught it. Um, so it was I was kind of going back between anywhere from fifty thousand to second place was one hundred fifty thousand, and third place was a hundred thousand. So I was kind of in that fifty thousand to one hundred fifty thousand range until he caught it, and then at that point it was pretty likely I was going to win. And uh, to answer your first question, I, I did have, I actually had six people locked in a bulletproof room uh, the whole time. Well, hopefully, I mean, as we can see, it didn't end for you like it ended for Howard. I'm, but... I'm a lot smarter than Howard. I just never <laughs> unlocked it. They're still there actually in that yeah, room. Why let house. him out? Why let him out? Because he's a narcissist and man, he's crazy. He, like he just thinks they're all going to be happy for him and cannot process that they've been sitting in a super hot, windowless room for three hours thinking about how much they hate him because you can see the moment one of those guys decides he's going to kill howard you see the look on his face like halfway through the game he looks at him and you're like oh that's when he made the choice the second i get out of here i'm going to put a bullet through this guy's skull and we're jumping to the end um and i'm gonna just kind of not i'm not gonna bury the lead i i love this movie Uh, i liked it even more the second time than the first time because there's this gambling level which was kind of how we're talking about it because he's clearly a gambling addict and insane but it also works in a, as a metaphor for capitalism, too. There's a whole lot of that going on, which is part of why I like it. And I want to go way back to the beginning because I forgot about the intro. It's great because we go to Ethiopia where we see some person who we don't know suffering, working in a you know diamond mine somewhere. He's got like a busted leg. And it goes from there. Um, we see two guys end up digging out this like big ebony gem somewhere in Ethiopia to this wonderful like I don't, I don't know how to call it a mash cut, but like it swirls out like they're going through the caves and then it turns into the bowels of this Howard guy. It's such a wonderful cut. I, I love the way that that transition works. Well, um, and then the, end, the movie ends the same way too, where it goes in the bullet hole and it zooms out to space. Yeah, so. it's, it's great. Um, yeah. But you get introduced to this guy and it just immediately the aggravation starts. I mean, there's just constantly yelling and him making horrible choices. Um because we talked about it. He, he owns, I mean, this is where it's first. Like this guy should be happy with life. He owns a gem shop somewhere in like the diamond district in New York. He's doing okay. He's got a massive apartment somewhere in New York and a very nice house. Like he's doing well, but he's trying to look for this big score because it's never enough. He's probably one of those guys that are actually broke. Like literally he has, he's like leveraged out his ass, doesn't own his house. I mean, that's the impression you get from the movie is he really has no money, no actual real assets. It's all that's true. That, that was my somebody impression. else. 
yeah, that he he doesn't have any liquid money because it's right. all in other spots on bets and I don't yeah I got that yeah, impression because well. he's just a degenerate he borrows here and gives it to this person he's just run, running his own Ponzi scheme basically but that's how he lives his life yeah that, that's my impression as well um, yeah I guess <laughs> hard to be happy like that when you don't have any peace because all of your money you, you have so many you know debt collectors coming at you um, so I can see why he would not be satisfied uh, he then should in my mind he could have righted all of that when he finally had enough money to pay off those debt collectors. Uh, but obviously that was, but he also got himself into debt in the first place. And even if he'd gotten and collected on the big bet, I, I, I don't think he would be happy anyway. He would blow through that money eventually anyway. Yeah. Be back let, in the same position. Let her ride again. You know, yeah, take he, that he, money. And- he's just doomed to always try to get more and never be satisfied. And of course, all of his wealth comes from really other people. He has to get the loan to buy the gym and the first bet he makes, he's literally using other people's items that aren't his and pawning them and then putting bets down. That's also like this. I mean, I was maybe think of the stock market in the 1920s, right? Before the crash, people were literally like taking out loans and investing that money because they thought they would just make enough money because it would just skyrocket to infinity and they could pay off their creditors. And eventually that house of cards completely crumbled. Uh, and it almost does for, for Howard. But he's, uh, what do you think? He's like 55. How old do we think Howard is? However old Adam Sandler is. <laughs> yeah, sure. So well, they make right him look there. a little younger. I mean, he's got a you know older teenage daughter. Yeah, so late 40s, yeah. early 50s. Yeah. That sounds about right, yeah. So he's got, he owns a gem shop, and he gets this big ebony stone, which he thinks well, is going to be... It's a black opal. It's a black, black opal. opal. There we go. Yeah. Black opal. Sorry. There we go. And he's convinced that it's going to be worth a million dollars if he sells it at an auction, and he pays a hundred grand for it. Do we think it's actually worth a million dollars? Do you think his assessment no, of the value? No, of course not. I mean, it was at the auction. It was assessed more, and then they drop it because he was such an asshole. They, had, you know, they put the cards where they dropped it to like two twenty-five or something like that. So it was probably like actually. I think at some point he does admit it was like five hundred thousand or something like that. But yeah, he's this guy's. You couldn't believe a word he would say. He was complete bullshit. Do we also think that he actually paid a hundred thousand for it? I mean, I know no. that that is that's the amount that he borrowed from the, his brother-in-law, and that's also the amount that he told KG he had paid for it. But my guess would be that he paid less than that for it. Right, because he didn't want to tell KG initially what it was, because he you knew he'd be pissed. He's like, well, I already paid for it, man. Like, just tell me what you paid it, and then he probably ended up lying anyways. You know. That was my thought. Uh, okay, so. I, I love this movie too. I can't. The crazy thing about this movie, I can't talk about it without talking about Garnett. Because, like, he means a, so much to me. A couple of hardcore Timberwolves fans yeah, on the podcast. I, I'm wearing his, doesn't know. wearing his game-worn jersey here. We're, we're actually sitting here recording the day after the worst loss in Timberwolves franchise history. So it's a hard hard thing for me to, to discuss. But seeing KG in this movie triggers all of those memories for me. So 2003-2004, uh, Timberwolves, best season in franchise history. Garnett wins MVP as the Wolves. I think they had the best record, at least in the West, maybe in the league. They get all the way to the Western Conference Finals, lose to the Lakers, and, you know, it was an incredible season, but kind of a crappy way that it ended. They never make the playoffs again with him. He's traded a couple years later to the Celtics. He wins a title in 08. And, you know, in this movie, he's a Boston Celtic, and, you know, they're actually reliving, like, his last season in Boston when they went to the – Eastern Conference Finals, but watching it is so hard for me because it's like, this was our guy. We gave him the Celtics. He wins the title. Now he's in this movie, and he's incredible in the movie, but it just, and then us sitting here recording 
the day after the Wolves collapse is just it's I'm having a hard think, time right now, guys. He's gonna be, be remembered more as a Celtic than a Timberwolf, do you think? They retired his number in Boston. We have not retired his number here. Right. Well and generally not even just in Boston versus in Minnesota. Like you just think of the NBA at large, you're thinking of no. Kevin Garnett. Do you think of him as no. he's a Timberwolf a Celtic? No, so, no not to you guys. To, I, think, I think two general people he's considered more a Timberwolf is, you know, his legacy. He's he, won, he was the better player as a Timberwolf. He won the MVP here. He helped them win a title. So I think that's why people in Boston love him. But he was only there for like three or four seasons. Yeah, I should say. So you, you introduced Eric and I both as massive Timberwolves fans. I did not start becoming a Timberwolves fan until 2013. So I missed the entire KG legacy. So seeing him, in the movie, it was still really cool because I, as a Timberwolves fan now, I still like, I see the clips all the time. I see the effect that he has on other Timberwolves fans that I interact with, but I was never really a fan of the Timberwolves during the KG era. So I don't have quite the same sentimental uh, connection to KG that Eric does, but I still thought it was really cool to see him. Uh, I also, I watched uh, a little clip as I was preparing for this this morning, I was watching clips, reviews, and like trying to learn stuff about the movie that maybe I had missed. And I learned uh, that they originally had cast Amari Stoudemire was supposed to play that role that KG was in and then when uh, that didn't work out because he was in season they or I don't know I can't he wouldn't cut his hair he wouldn't cut his hair is that right he wouldn't yeah he didn't want he has like dreads now and he wouldn't cut his hair so he looked like he did back in Oh, because oh, exactly. like, they, they had to make the timeline. So, yeah, I, I, I watched a few interviews from the Safties too, the two the directors, the Safdie yeah. brothers, and they were trying to trying to find because it had to, it had to match the sequence wise. The guy had to have a good game, a bad game, and then a good game because he gets the gem and the gem makes him like have a you know amazing game. That's why he would want to buy it. And yeah, they did go through a bunch of iterations of different people. But yeah, I think Stoudemire was he just didn't want to cut his hair or something. And they wanted a Nick initially. They wanted a guy from the Knicks because they're New York guys. Right. Well, they, they went through Stoudemire and then Kobe uh, they had on briefly. And then they also had Joel Embiid, which all of those I think would have been entertaining. But I think KG made the most sense. Like just his personality. I thought he played that character beautifully. Yeah. He played I, I mean, he played himself beautifully. Yeah. He played it, himself, it, it fits his character. I, guess, I, I, I did like say. the Embiid thing because they were saying like, you know, it's an African gem and the idea he wanted to like return it to and he's from Africa. And like, yeah, I, yeah. I did kind of think that would have been kind of a cool idea. But yeah. Apparently, they rewrote the script a bunch of different times to try to make it work. And then they didn't want KG initially because as Knicks fans, they hated KG because yep. he beat them from the, uh, as a Celtic. And they hate the Celtics from New York perspective. But he, I think he's perfect. He's amazing in this movie. Yep. But I'm so heartbroken to see this, this is our guy up there as a Celtic in a movie. And he never won anything here. And here we sit again. The Wolves are just a disaster. So It's pretty sad. <laughs> Um, but it was fun. I, I, to me, it was fun to see Timberwolves KG. fan hour. Yeah. Um, go Iowa awesome. <laughs> I mean, it's it's nothing new, right? This was, even when they were up 21 in the third quarter, I was like, there's no way this holds, right? Like, it was, I mean, I, I didn't really, I thought at that point they were probably going to win, but I was never comfortable. I never thought like, oh, uh, we got this in the bag. I mean, many people know the stereotype of Minnesotans, but as somebody who's not a Minnesotan, but has lived amongst you for a decade, I mean, I, I don't think people can really understand just how, defeated and beat down the folks of Minnesota are just just the sense of doom all the time it just <laughs> never ends it's just death is skythe is just always there to murder the dreams of Minnesota sports fans it's really something it's it it's really earned is. it's earned I, I, I mean with Cleveland having won an NBA championship I is the Twin Cities is that the most beleaguered sports city in America now 
might be Detroit. I guess uh, the Red Wings are good. I don't know. I don't the even Pistons know how to follow The NBA championship in like oh, the, lost, the, right? the year the year Garnett lost to the Lakers. The Pistons beat the Lakers in the finals that year. Oh three oh four. All right, so that's pretty relatively tr- recent. I'm trying to think that yeah, I mean there just hasn't been a the We've Minnesota the miracle. The Lynx have won. Yeah, the Lynx are titles. genuinely yeah, they're good. But I I think Iowa's sports franchises are up there ahead of Minnesota, right? They, they're professional sports teams. Oh, better to have a losing franchise. I'm sorry. I must have misspoke because they don't Ooh, have ouch. professional sports. Uchi. Oh, what a, what a trash talk. Uh, Honestly, wouldn't your life be better if the no Minnesota sports teams existed? Wouldn't you be a happier human? Probably. Probably. Okay. No, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. Okay. I Not me because I'm not as invested as Eric is. I mean, I'm a fan of all the Minnesota sports teams, but I don't get as emotionally invested as Eric does in the teams. Although last night I was pretty, I was pretty devastated by that loss. So I was at you, the game and it was rough. How do you reconcile your DFS with your like fandom? Do you, is it just to, two totally separate things? Like you're not picking towns because he's your, he's your guy. Yeah, Root against the Timberwolves if it would make him money. That's what I think he's about to say. Um, that is generally true. However, so really the, the way that it most affects it is if I'm going to watch a Timberwolves game, I will be, I will have more Timberwolves in my lineup than I should. So like I, it does affect me. I actually, I looked at my ROIs across, uh, days. Like, so there's a site called Roto Track where you can check out your, uh, you can see how you do in DFS and it tracks how you're doing for you. And one thing you can look at is your ROI on different days and my, most my uh, at one point I, I had positive ROI on every day. I, I no longer have positive ROI on every day. I think I have two days that are negative, and the one that is the most negative by far is Wednesdays, which is the day that I go to watch the Timberwolves at my brother's house. So and I think it's because I just I don't play smart. I just play my Timberwolves. The Timberwolves are costing you money, Neil. They're, yeah, they're literally costing you money. That is true. Maybe maybe I'd be better off without them. Oh my god. Yeah, let's see. Let's move. Let's move them down to Iowa. We'll take them. The do, Iowa Timberwolves. Do you Rottle guys think? Iowa. Do you guys think Adam Sandler's good in this movie? He's incredible in this movie. Yeah, I thought he's great. I think he's, he's amazing. Her, it's incredible how he can do with an actual director without somebody who actually knows how to make a movie. He doesn't do it. He's done it like twice that I'm aware of, where Adam Sandler works with an actual movie maker and then they get these great performances out of him. He can act really well when he's not doing a stupid Adam Sandler movie and just being an idiot. Um, is, is Punch Drunk Love the other one? That's what I would say. Yes, those are the two. Those are where like you you put them in the hands of somebody who actually knows what they're doing, and you get these great performances out of Adam. But I mean, it's, he he literally he's in every scene of this movie. He carries it like uh, through the whole. whole and you forget that it's Adam Sandler. Yeah. Literally, it's yeah. like he looks like Adam Sandler, but you just forget. You you just totally see him as this character. It's incredible. No, I just. And just it's the ang- anxiety that you like, I feel anxious watching this movie because of him. He, he, you're sort of like trans transcending that over to me. Just watching his performance is amazing. I think just like, stop, yeah. just stop doing this. Please stop. You're going to ruin your entire family's life. Stop, stop it. And he just, he cannot, I mean, it yeah. is just this insane. So I want to get into the gambling a little bit because he, so he takes two big jewelry pieces. One of them, so he gets this big opal, the opal from Ethiopia, and he shows it to Kevin Garnett in his jewelry shop. And Kevin Garnett immediately loves it. He wants it. He wants to buy it. Howard tells him no. And but he says, hey, can I just borrow it for this game? I really am going to have a great game. I have he, a, Go ahead. A, why didn't he just sell it to him directly? Well, like he that believed was, he, he thought he'd get, get more. Why didn't yeah, he, he tell Garnett more. it's 500 grand? 
I, I was saying that at the same time. Hold on. Like, just give him a, a big number. See yeah, if take see it. it. I mean, Garnett signed one of the biggest contracts in the history of the NBA. He could afford that shit. Like, say, just say 500 grand. Say a million. Say you can have it for a million dollars. Worth the Garnett's going to say is no. Like, that's what it's going to cost. That's what's going to go as an auction. So what? Then he says yeah. no, and then you sell it at the auction. But he wants to borrow it, and then he's worried. So Howard's worried that, you know, Adam Sandler's character is worried that uh, Kevin Garnett's not going to return it. So he gets Kevin Garnett's championship ring from the Boston Celtics, not the Minnesota Timberwolves. Anything's possible! Uh, and then he takes that ring and then goes to one of his, you know, pawn buddies and, and gives it to them and gets $25,000 or something or 20, whatever it is, some amount of money. And takes that money and puts it on Kevin Garnett. And we really do need to go into detail about the craziness of this bet. It's a six-way parlay, which is, if I'm wrong, I, I don't know how many of Neil's fans are going to be listening to this. They probably know what a parlay is, but if anybody's listening doesn't know, it's basically where you take all of these different propositions, and the more you put on, the better odds you get. By that means, you'll make way more money, but if a single one of those propositions doesn't hit, you lose it all. So he has six things that need to happen in order for him to make a lot of money. He needs... Uh, for the craziest one to me, it's definitely the great, like the tip off. That's the last bet. Yeah. You're talking about the last. No, he does it both times. In the first time, he also has to do the opening bet. I looked at this, Eric. Yeah. Oh, okay. He did. All right. it, it, he, he does it both times. He says Celtics win the opening tip. Yeah. Celtics Betting covered. on winning the tip is like Ridiculous. so psychotic. Yeah. Like it has nothing to do with him being awesome and being pumped for the game and being great. I mean, it's there's ten thousand things that can go wrong that aren't Kevin Garnett's fault. Like if the ref does a crappy weird throw. Yeah. Like, oh, the, the ref bungled it and went to the other. I mean, it's just insane. And then the Celtics have to cover. They have to be up at halftime. And then Kevin Garnett has to have beat his projections for blocks, rebounds, and points for that game, which is bonkers. It's just absolutely bonkers. If one of those things doesn't happen, he loses 40 grand that he's going to owe other people. And they're getting interest. They're, they're, they're charging him interest. They think that VIG is they're, they're giving him interest. So he's, he's getting like a $25,000 loan. He has to pay like 7% interest on that, which is nuts. I mean, there's yep. just no amount of insane. And he does, I had to look up what lightning points are. Does, do you guys know what lightning bets no, are? No, no. I had to look at that. I was like, what the hell is a lightning bet? So a lightning bet, for so you take the spread, and for each point your team goes above the spread, you get 1000 bucks. But if they go a point below it, you owe 1000 hmm. Okay. So that's Can what it was. Can you do that as part of the parlay, or is that a separate bet? It was a separate bet. Okay. So in, the, in this case, I think the Celtics won by 15 or 16, so that's worth 14 grand. But if, of course, the Celtics get trounced, then you're going to owe 12. I mean, it's just just ludicrous. Yeah. Um, even if I mean, even if Kevin Grant has a great game, his team could suck. It's just, I mean, there's been plenty of great. Isn't James Harden one of the classic? This guy puts up a lot of great individual numbers, but his teams aren't very good. Yeah, well, and if, if Kevin Garnett has Carl a, a Anthony good Towns, game, yeah, Carl Anthony Towns, also no, one of those guys. Uh, Another okay. issue with making a bet like that is if Kevin Garnett does put up all of those numbers, uh, there's a good chance that the game is going to blow out, which makes it, I mean, it, it makes it less likely that all of them, you're, you're, even if you really believe in the player, it's a huge risk to make all of those bets because there's a chance that the game blows out at the end. Um, obviously, I guess they're all correlated. So that's a, that, that is a, a thing that is actually really 
popular right now is single game parlay. So all the parlays, the entire parlay is related to one game, um, which I don't think you used to be able to do that. Maybe maybe just like the, the sports book that I used to use when I was living in Boston and could do it. Uh, I, I don't remember ever being able to bet on a single game, but that is something you can do now because they're all kind of correlated. Um, but yes, that is it, it's an insane bet just from the uh, it's really low odds of all of those things happening. Uh, it's an insane bet and in that there's like there's no way that you can really be confident in the uh, in the opening toss. Um, and it's an insane bet in that he puts all of his money in. So even like people, even with single game parlays being really popular these days, people do plenty of them, but you know, it's, you do them because you could put in just a little bit of money and make a lot out S- similar to DFS, like a big DFS tournament. You can put in, you know, just a little bit of money and make a lot of money out of it. You don't typically put in, you know, your entire net worth you don't steal somebody's stuff pawn it and then take the money from that with interest to try to win a big bet to pay all of your outstanding obligations yeah Typically most people no. don't do that yeah um yeah you can put like 50 bucks down and oh i can win 700 dollars or whatever it is like it's low yeah. odds but i'm just gonna have fun or something crazy happens i make a bunch of money and if not oh well i lost 50 bucks sure um and he would have won this crazy bet uh but he owes his brother-in-law a lot of money and hasn't been paying him back and his brother-in-law stops the bet, um, which is just one of many bad things that go wrong for for Howard. Who, and I, if you haven't seen the movie, he's one of the most aggravating people because he he seems to be oblivious to all other personalities. He can't seem yep. to read the room at all. He's supposed to not recognize emotions. Um, like it, like his employee, who's uh, when he f- oh. first gets the opal, his employee is in there ranting at him, and he's just completely oblivious. And uh, and he's looking at the opal. The employee is telling him, you know, I'm gonna quit. There are other people I can do, do business with. And he looks up at him and says, I'm gonna come or something, you know, something along yeah, those exactly lines. What he says. I think <laughs> I'm gonna come. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't care. And then later on, we get to see that employee at a different diamond shop, and Howard doesn't notice or care. He walks right, but he's oblivious. He does not care. I did not he notice is, that. That's funny. You, you see him. It's really quick. I mean, you just see me looks. And he's like, because the guy says, are you going to see me working in another shop, Howard? You're going to be really jealous. You're not going to like that. You're going to see me somewhere else. You're not going to like that, Howard. And then he just totally doesn't notice him later on. I mean, he just doesn't notice anybody at all doing anything. He just doesn't seem to care. Um, I also like that he threw a shirt at the employee and said, this is a Gucci shirt. It's 500 bucks. And then, and the first time I watched it, I didn't question that. And then the second time I, I, I started rewatch, I actually didn't get through it uh, all the way, but I saw him do it again. I'm like, Oh, it was probably not actually a Gucci shirt. It's probably a fake Gucci shirt. Like that watch that he goes, he's giving away those other- yeah. that L- the Lakeith's character right. has. Um, he's just totally scamming everybody all the time. I mean, he's really is, is a scuzzbag. but can we take a second to talk about Howard's relationship to, is it Julie? Is that her name? Julia. Julia. That's her Julia. real name, Julia Fox. But yeah, I think her character's name is Julia too. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Is it? Does she just genuinely love him? True love, or man. It's just about it's true, it's money. True love. Do you think so? Yeah. There- I, I question that too. I I think that there is an element of love to it, uh, just because I don't know. She kept. She really came to try to like beg for him to take her back. Uh, and he's in all this debt. So like, it's not like he's really given her a lot of money. I guess she's, she's throwing parties in his apartment. So maybe, maybe that's one of the reasons he doesn't have money is because he's given all this money to his sugar baby. Uh, so maybe I am misunderstanding the relationship, but I, yeah, I kind of got the impression that there was love there. Yeah. She's a train wreck, obviously. And so is he, they're like perfect for each other. She, she didn't cheat. So he kicks her out because he thought she was cheating on him at the weekend which is a yeah, whole she has options. That's crazy. Yeah. She has but options. She, she didn't. She kept turning him down and said no. And um, 
you know, so she wasn't going to cheat with, with the weekend, you know, big time musician. Um, and so she just loved him. She did all that for him because she loved Howard. And he so I, I did. I did not get the impression that she ultimately turned down the weekend. I thought that during their interaction, it seemed like something was about to happen and they caught away. But maybe I'm completely wrong. You've seen it more times than I have. But yeah, no, I, he, I was under the impression he, that something he was grabbed, happening. He grabs her hand and puts it on his junk. And she's like, stop. You know, Don't touch me. Don't touch me. It does cut away. But when you go back in there, they're just doing cocaine together. Okay. They weren't just like, that. No big deal. Well, yeah, I mean, like, she's a train wreck. Like I said, like she's. I, I, I'm not sure you'd be okay I, with your partners doing coke with some dude in a bathroom at a club. I'm he's sure married like, hey, to another woman. I, he's like, a hypocrite. Yeah. I know. He's yeah. he's psychotic. He's absolutely insane. Yes, they're perfect uh, for each other. She's so nice to him, and he's nothing but a jerk to her. Really, right. I don't see your be him be nice to her hardly ever. He knocks out her smoothie. He screams at her. He calls her name. Says really awful stuff. And she's really emotionally supportive. She babies him, basically. Yeah. Like, oh, you got a new sweatsuit, honey. You look really good on you. You want to try it on? Oh, yeah. come here, baby. You want to cuddle? I know you want to cuddle. I mean, it's like bonkers to me. Yeah. yeah, I guess she is staying at this big, really nice apartment. Okay. Um. Yeah, now maybe he's doting on her. She works there, though, so their relationship is also a weird power dynamic that's creepy to me. She doesn't own the place. She works for him. There's some weird... Codependency thing going None on. None of there it's too. good. None of it's yeah, good. It's not. not healthy. Yeah. He clearly trusts her. He sends her to Vegas, I think, uh, with and a she, bag of. She comes through. I think it's, Atlanta, I think it's Atlantic, it's Atlantic City. City. Atlantic yeah, they City, couldn't okay. have gotten to Vegas yeah. in, a co- in a helicopter that quickly. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I think it's Atlantic City. Um, but he has nobody else to trust, though. She, I mean, she's his only option. If she cuts him off, he's, he's screwed. But she could have took he, the money and just let. He had already kicked her out. Right. She could have just left. No, she did all that for him. She, it was true love. It was beautiful, I thought. It was a beautiful uh, love story. That's beautiful. what this movie is. It's a beautiful it's love a, it's story. It's a love story. That's right. I like uh, that take. Uh, what did you think, Ben? Did you think there was love there? I couldn't figure it out. I'm impossible. It's possible. I'm I'm I'm, I'm ambivalent about it. I, I guess so. I don't know. Or there's just some weird... She's got some weird daddy issues. I don't know what's going yeah. on. I mean, it's there was something weird going on there. But I yeah, it was just flummoxed. I mean, I just don't know if somebody swatted a a smoothie and he screamed at me in the hallway. Yeah. I, I'd be like, I, this person kind of sucks. Why am I with them? I, w- I would have those thoughts. I would hesitate. I would maybe not go to work. Be like, all right, I'm kind of done with this guy, but you know, whatever. Yeah. She turned, well, she, she, even left, down. she left when he told her to, she got all his shit out of the apartment and was looking and, for and a she new played place. That dopey music. Yeah. Um, she, so she, she didn't hear him. it when he came in. Okay, fair enough. All right, Eric's convinced about the love here. Have either of you guys seen Good Time, the Safdie's other movie? No. I have not. Okay, it's it, so it's very, very, Robert Pattinson's in it, and actually one of the brothers, I think it's Josh, or maybe Ben Safdie, one of the other ones. Ben Safdie's also in um, Licorice Pizza, if you've seen that. Oh, that's I why I recognize him. He's like I the mayor mayor candidate guy. Um, okay. He's, he ends up being gay in the movie, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. He's okay. He, he's uh, one of the directors of this movie. He and his brother, um, but they directed Good Time, which has Pattinson in it, and it's like a very suspenseful. Like they stole money and they're trying to get away. Um, they do like really chaotic stuff. Well, I think as good as anybody, because you're bouncing back and forth. There's a bunch of different conversations going on. It, you know, all this voiceover too, and like I, I really, I every time I watch this movie, I'm so impressed 
with how well it's made because it, it it's so hard to make that sort of thing where you can follow it. It's like even the scene where Garnett's in the jewelry place and it's bouncing around all these different people talking you know what's happening you're clear on and then you know garnett breaks the glass everything's so stressful like i just i'm just so amazed when i watch this how how good of filmmakers those guys are no yeah that's it's great i mean they orchestrate it perfectly and then the second time when garnett brings the opal back and they're stuck in there and there's people yelling yeah. and just cross-cutting the way they edit yeah. and just tension just rises and rises and rises and it's it's so aggravating and stressful and it just puts you in that mind you know mind space yeah. Um, so I, one of the scenes I, I want to get some takes on, I, I thought this was just trying to figure out if there was any subtext and maybe there's not, but so they're, they're having, I, it, it's a, a Jewish celebration. I don't want to say what it is cause I don't know. I'll be wrong, but they're, they're doing some, you know, Jewish it's Passover, ritual. Passover, right? Passover. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I didn't know what time of year it was and I didn't know. So yeah, so cause Passover. it's, the, it's literally like this. We're in April, end of April, 2022. It's occurring right at the playoffs i think garnett's it's the celtics i think they're playing the pistons right in like the eastern conference final so it's late april yeah it's like is easter passover celebration i think got it okay so we've got adam sandler's character um and then his brother-in-law is the guy he gets a, a loan from is his brother-in-law not jewish no because the, the father-in-law says that remember they have that little conversation where they're smoking cigars and he's like you know, at least your daughter didn't marry him because he he says happy holidays. And you're like, can you believe he said happy holidays to me? Yeah, he's a he's a he's a goy. That's why. Okay. Right. And that's why I he's not so. able to read the read the read the um whatever the rights are that they're doing. They're doing a, a ritual right, right. case, and there's a somebody says it in Hebrew, and then somebody else says it in in English, and they go back and forth. Okay. Is there something there? Is that just we just got to see a little bit of the family dynamic at that scene? Uh, we learned that he's the brother-in-law. I think that was kind of, it, it showed us that he's the okay. brother-in-law. We get to see, yeah, the, the family dynamic. Uh, so now I, I, I did not catch that. So I had assumed that the brother-in-law was married to Adam Sandler's wife, uh, or sorry, was, was, uh, the brother of Adam Sandler's wife in the movie. Is that not the case? So he, no, he's married to- No, I think their to... wives are sisters. Okay. That makes, that makes sense then. Cause when they're driving back from that party- and she's talking about how, you know, she, I think the daughter says that she wishes she had her life. I think it's just, that's her sister. Okay. Right, right. That makes sense. But yeah, yeah I, I think, think, I think it's just, a, it's their, you know, celebration of their Jewish, as a Jewish tradition. And I think they just wanted to capture that in the movie. Uh, you know, the Safdies are Jewish and they're big sports fans. And I, I just think it's like a reflection on, you know, experience. They have Adam Sandler is also Jewish. So I, I think that's what that was. If that's what you, I guess I didn't understand your question. Like, well, it also sets up that uh, introduces us to the to the father-in-law, who then becomes important at the auction scene. So I think it kind right. of ties everybody together. Okay. No, yeah, I didn't know if there was a criticism for the uh, the guy that loans the money, the brother-in-law, for being a jerk. Well, I don't know if yeah. What's what's so did he hire these mobster guys? We never they never really explained that. Like yeah, does Sandler owe him money? We don't know that for Sandler, sure. He he gave the hundred grand to uh, Adam Sandler. No, but that's the the hundred grand for the auction or the hundred grand before that. The hundred grand to initially acquire the opal that came from his his brother. We know that for sure. I'm ninety percent sure that that's I don't weird. think that's ever said in the movie. We we know that he owes his brother-in-law a hundred thousand yes. because there is a there is a 
uh, scene where he's, you know, on the phone with, or he, he leaves him a message saying that watch is worth 20,000. I want you to take that out of the hundred thousand, whatever. So we know that he owes him a hundred thousand. We know that he says that he paid a hundred thousand for the Opal. I think that it's reasonable to assume that they, that he, you know, borrowed to buy the Opal, but it, I don't know. Cause they didn't want it. They didn't want the Opal. Cause he has it a few times. If I, I would think if they paid for it, he would have just said, fine, take it. Like, there's a scene where he punches him in the throat and then breaks his glasses. He has the opal in his hand. If they wanted it, they could have just he's just like, fine, take it. You take it. You sell it. But I, right. I think I think it's an unrelated debt. I think he owed him money in a different debt. And I think you're supposed to assume that he hired these guys. Because he didn't want to I mean, spoiler, he didn't want to kill Sandler. He was he gets killed right. too in the end, right? Like um Yeah, so I think it got it got in too deep. He hired he hired guys that he didn't really know to help recover the debt. Cause he didn't want to rough up Sandler himself. And these guys just took it too far. Um, right. Yeah. I don't think we so, ever really uh, like established the relationship that the brother-in-law has with the mobsters. Like it seemed like he was, he was the boss of the, yeah, of he was the paying them. I always assumed he just, these were guys he paid. Yeah. Some guys in the neighborhood did. or something. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know how he knew them or met them. I mean, I, I I'm not convinced. I think the hundred grand is definitely for the Opal. I mean, I don't know how he would have had money to pay for it. Who else would have loaned him? I just think they didn't want to bother selling it. They they aren't convinced that it was worth anything, and they don't trust. I mean, this guy hands you this and says, "Sell it here. My debt's paid." Are you going to trust it? I wouldn't. Um, I mean, it would make sense if it's been a few months and he hasn't paid them any money yet on that loan. I mean, however long it took him to to buy and acquire and get the money out. Yeah, of the but I mean, he them. owes everybody money, so it's not super important what like what money he owes. Yeah, because yeah, either way, they they still don't want to sell the opal, even if he owes them hundred grand from something else. They still don't want to take the opal to pay that debt. I mean, they're still like, whatever. This isn't right. our problem. We need our money plus however much interest they charged. I, I got a question. Um, um, Neil, did you know how this movie was going to end when you turned it on? Had it been no, spoiled sure. for you? So you were totally shocked. Yeah. I mean, I wasn't totally shocked because I, I also kind of saw the writing on the wall. Like, what is I, I, I question what's going to happen when he lets these guys out of this tiny room that he's got them locked in. Uh, I, I definitely saw the look on the mobster's face of I want to kill you. Uh, I didn't I, I was shocked. Like, I was surprised. Like I, I was not expecting it because in my mind, the brother in law was the leader of the group and the other guys, you know, they're not going to kill him without being ordered to and i didn't think the brother-in-law would uh but yeah i was definitely a little bit surprised because they do such a cool thing like he starts watching the game and he starts getting excited like oh shit like we're you're gonna win this money he's like sort of proud of, of the brother-in-law of, yeah 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 of, of howard's like all right all right fucking and then when they get out he looks at him and he's like awesome job and then the guy just you know shoots him right in the eye i was when i saw this in the theater i was totally shocked i was like there was like a gasp i remember in the theater people were like oh my god like because it happened so quick um i think it's what you know one of those like super surprising endings i hope we're not spoiling this movie's been out since 2019 so um i guess you hadn't seen it so maybe there are folks out there but uh really cool ending if, if you don't know what's gonna happen it, it has a really surprising ending yeah i, I would not listen to this podcast without having you know seen the movie first so i imagine most people won't but maybe you can put a spoiler alert at the beginning i don't know maybe we need to put that in there. i mean usually we talk about whatever but yeah it is a surprise because you it's, it's that same thing where you think yeah the guy who's in charge is kind of happy about it um so they're probably going to be fine and they're just going to get paid um but yeah i mean after but but when you're just so pissed off that you can't think rationally you just murder somebody instantly um because it's it's so fast i mean the second he pulls his gun out and shoot him in the eye it's it's incredible 
Yeah. Um, and this is how oblivious he is. I mean, he just cannot possibly, he just is unable to consider what's going on in somebody else's brain and how pissed off they would be to the point where they would, they could, they could have had a couple hundred grand easy and then, nope, don't care. I just want, I just want this guy dead. I hate this guy so much. He's messed with my life so much. Um, but yeah, the bet at the end, right? So he ends up through a lot of horrible conniving. He gets his, his father, is it father? I thought, I thought that was his father that does the, that his wife's it. father. That's his wife's father. Oh God! So it's his father-in-law. That's especially yep. lame. That's yeah. hilarious. Um, so <laughs> yeah, he made his wife's father spend, and how he had that cash, I don't know, but he must have. He must have a lot of money. I suppose he had a driver. There's a when he gets out of the thing, he's got his own car. So I suppose maybe you're supposed to assume he's wealthy. Yeah, maybe yeah. all this money is just from his wife. Actually, maybe that would explain why he's so frustrated and wants to make a bunch of money. He believes this is his own because all of it came from. See that he when into I it. first saw yeah. the movie, I thought he had borrowed it from his father-in-law, and the, his brother-in-law was the one that was like trying to collect it on his behalf. But you know, that's, that's why. I mean, I, I I think it's from the brother-in-law, but it, yeah, it doesn't matter. But he, so Kevin Garnett finally returns the opal, and. He puts it up for auction. It's the last minute. It's been a couple of days. Throws it together, and the listed price in this auction is lower. And Kevin Garnett's going to show because he wants the opal, and he gets his father-in-law to bid against Kevin Garnett to raise the price up. <laughs> the big um, ticket. It's very hilarious. Um, gets up to almost two hundred grand before Kevin Garnett says, "Nah, it's too rich for my blood," and his father-in-law stuck. <laughs> Paying for the opal. Yeah, I mean he had 180 grand to pay for an opal, so he's probably doing okay. Um, but that scene, I mean, auction scenes are always great in movies, but that scene's super intense. Like I, I'm like, oh shit, is that you know, is Garnett gonna get it? Is this guy gonna like? It's just done really well. Auction, auction scenes are always great, but this yeah, is a particularly of, good one. One of the videos that I watched was uh, focused on the auction scene a little bit, and just like they did a, like a million different cuts within that like three minute scene. Like it would, they just kept, kept cutting around and they, uh, they were saying that it was done really well. A lot of times these cut scenes get to be a little bit too much, but because of uh, you know, the rest of the film being so intense, they were able to cut it in a way that it, you know, maintain that intensity during an auction scene where you're just kind of, you know, watching people bid on an item uh, and they did a good job of cutting, cutting back and forth from one character to another and seeing they're all like kind of looking where th- this character is looking at that character, that character is looking at the opal. And it was, it was uh, kind of interesting just to hear them talk about that. Uh, I cannot speak intelligently about the way they cut it, but uh, I did want to well, say Well, the acting that. is really good too. You can see yeah. what's going on in each person's head without them overdoing or overstating. You can kind of see the anxiety about the father-in-law. Like I, how high do I have to go? I don't want to get stuck with the bill on this. Kevin Garnett has this like, is this for real? Is this guy for real? What's going on? Um, it's great. No, it is great. It just maintains that. And um, the father ends up having to buy it. And then it's got to promise 20% of that money that he's going to get to his father-in-law. Um, and because he just keeps getting buried further and deep and he owes more and more people. I mean, at this point he owes a hundred grand to his brother-in-law and he owes, I don't know, two pawn people like, $25,000 and then yep. he owes his father-in-law 30 grand. I mean, and at this point, those twins know, that are after him throughout the movie. Oh yeah. The twins. Oh, a few times. Yeah. He stole from Lockheath who had been putting like fake Rolexes into his vault and selling them. And he's been selling them on the side and giving Lockheath none of them, none of the cuts. Um, so he's just owes so many people, so many money from all of his bad decision-making, but he finally gets 160 grand, which will mostly pay for all the stuff. I mean, he might have some additional work to do, but, 
that would get it. But when he gets Kevin Garnett to pay the 160 grand, <laughs> he's got his brother in the lair here. He's going to force him to pay him back. And he's going to take that money because he owes, owes a bunch of money, but he gets his freaking mistress girlfriend to go to the office next door, take the money and place this insane final bet. This time only a, a, a very modest three-way parlay uh, again on the Celtics. So it's, um, this time we opening tip again, equally insane. And then he combines the rebounds and points. So he just needs to get a total above the projections, right? Is that, that right? Then he needs a total of 26. That's what they keep saying. But I think it was points, rebounds, and the Celtics had to win. Right. Yeah. My point is that but it was three-way parlay. So one of the – I think it's a four-way. Was... I think it's four-way. I think it's it's tip, points, rebounds, and the Celtics have to win. I thought it was three, but it doesn't matter. Either way, he's got to get because it's combined. It's, he's not like he needs this many rebounds and this many points. He's like talked about this total number they need to get to twenty six. Yeah, th- they keep saying that, but I, I, I swear I thought when he makes the bet. I mean, it doesn't matter. It's points and rebounds being separate bets, is what you think, Eric? I, I thought that I thought it was a four way parlay, but whatever. Okay, it's fine. Okay. Anyway, so he's, these guys, they were about to. Leave. This one thing here's the one outstanding plot mechanics questions. Why were they trying to leave? So uh, he, he finds that they took the – he got the money to out. To get the he, money to chase Julia. They got get, other guys to do that. So they were yeah, just but all they were gonna, leave. Yeah, they were all going to get her. Yeah, find her. So those guys were going to also try to take her before the bet could come and, and get the, the money back. Um, okay, so that's where they were trying to leave. And they didn't want to leave somebody there with Howard. They were just all going to take off. Yeah. Instead of buzzing them out, he keeps them trapped there, I guess, to protect Julia. Um, yeah. And they're forced to watch this final game sitting in this extremely hot looking like closet worth of space. Yeah. As, like a, no ventilation. as a person who is pretty claustrophobic, that uh, looked like a nightmare. I would also have killed him the second I got out. Um, yeah. what you I'm wouldn't just burn, burn some cigarettes like the one guy did. You wouldn't just oh, I saw that. I was like, yeah. don't light a cigarette, man. Yeah. Don't do it. That's going to make it worse. No, what, what, what that brings to me then is, you know, he could have let them go after like, an hour probably and she would have played i don't know however long it would take for her to place the bet where they can't get there who are these guys that are so powerful that they can just stop bets so like they stopped the first bet uh with with the bookie i what is a relationship going on there that his brother-in-law has the ability to go and stop a bet that he has placed i i don't i don't feel like that's a common thing maybe i'm wrong no well so the the guy doing the bets initially was under the table, right? This is just some street bookie. It's not through an actual casino, right? It's right, just, right. I could, I could be a bookie. Isn't really that died. that was Fran Forschiller, right? He's a sports, New York sportscaster. Never mind. I didn't know. I didn't know that. Yeah, that's sure. fine. I, I didn't know that either. But that's fine. Um, and I assume he's got some connection to the underground. Is like, no, that's my money. Pull it back. We're collecting that forty grand or whatever it is. You could right. also cash out a ticket early, like a lot of times on a bet. You can pay out you know, before the bet's over and they'll give you a portion of the money back. So I guess if they got to her, they could cash the ticket back in before the yeah. bet was over or just like kill her and take the ticket. You know I mean? Right. Yeah. Who knows? I guess there, there are things they could have done. They could have threatened her, forced her to close the ticket. And if they got to her before she could make the bet, they would just take the money. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. But did they rent a helicopter as well? I'm just trying to think of how quickly they could get to Atlantic city. Because she takes Maybe, a helicopter. Yeah. And how is he able to book a, uh, a helicopter flight? How does he have money to do that? Um, right. I'm, I'm wondering how that's possible. Yeah, what is it? So a blade is a helicopter because yeah, he books yeah, a blade. Yeah, yeah what does yeah, that cost? $15,000 to take a helicopter have, from New York it's to It's got to be five City? digits at least. Yeah. How does he, how does he pay so? for that? They're, 
They're not going to just let well, anybody. I, Neil, you from your residence to down. To, that's how you get to the Wolves games. So well, right. you have yeah, you right. live in a gated community. Yeah, that's true. I take no. I, I take a helicopter, and it's only it's only six grand. Nothing. I'm just, I'm just trying to think of like, but they're not going to let anybody just like. I wouldn't be able to call and say, "Hey, I'm taking a helicopter." I would have to give them money. Well, maybe in New York, York it's a, yeah, maybe it's a bigger thing in New York. Helicopter rides out of the city. Well, I, I'm I'm sure that exists to avoid the traffic and being rich enough to take those. I, I, it's not that. It's just maybe she was able to anybody... pay in cash. Like we'll pay you in cash when you oh, get there. Oh, that might maybe make sense. I booked it. Possible. Yeah, you give them ten grand or whatever. But a cre- credit card or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I was like, I have a credit card that's not maxed out. Um. Right. But yeah, she gets there. She ends up dodging a few scumbags and and wins the bet. But. I guess for her, she gets to keep all that money. Is that is she just going to run off into the sunset with the, the couple million or however much they won? Maybe. Yeah, I, I, that was my impression that now he, he's taken care of. The uh, the brother-in-law who would want to collect is taken care of. Maybe those mobsters will go after her. They're probably well, going to go to jail, though. Yeah, I mean, like they, they're going to be stuck even, in that office, right? Yeah, how they get out? Like yeah. they, one of them could buzz the other one out, but wouldn't the other one be stuck? How do they yeah. get out? No idea. I mean, I, at the end, they're clearly trying to make it look like a robbery. They're trying to smash uh, all the cases and be like, oh, this is, we're going to try to make it look like somebody's trying to steal a bunch of jewels. Well, but, I think they were stealing it. it was, they didn't try to make it look like a robbery. I think they were literally just like robbing the place. No, well, fair enough. Them. They'd have to sell them somewhere else, but that's fine. I mean, but those, those, those Furby jewels, yeah. the Furby necklace. Um, oh, man. I mean, just incredible because all the and the, the brother-in-law dies too i guess we didn't say that but he's freaked out and tried to kind of run away and doesn't know what's going on and then he gets killed too so they're both dead um i did wonder how they're going to get out though I, I don't think there was any reasonable way out um yeah they're it seems like they're destined to go to jail because they're gonna be stuck in that office with the guy they killed and i'm sure there's cameras everywhere right i mean i don't in and out of the building and i mean i don't right. think you'd be able to turn them off they'd have a lot of evidence. I mean, there's got to be a key somewhere that they can unlock those doors somewhere in the building. But well, sure. I would say earlier in the movie, they had uh, even Adam Sandler, like the people who worked there, were having trouble opening it when when KG was stuck in there. They had to like put metal know, shavings do... on and well, then yeah, yeah. like so because the electric connection was when was they get trapped. Cold. It's because the, the he had the little uh, tool that was wedged up there. When they shut it, the tool falls. So he he didn't Howard didn't really trap that. He just didn't let him out after that. After the tool fell. Yes, he was right. an opportunist. I mean, yeah. he, he he doesn't think that far ahead. Uh, yeah, I don't even know that he's really capable. He's just always like reacting. He's to like, the, oh, the they're trapped. Oh shit! I'll just leave them in here and wait till the bet plays, and then I'll pay them off, and it'll work out. And you know, yep. obviously did not. Uh, okay, should we transition to our letterbox review section here? So is where you give the movie a rating out of five stars. Neil, as our esteemed guest, uh, what would you rate this movie out of five stars? You can use half stars too if you want. Uh, probably four and a half. I really I enjoyed the movie. Uh, I don't know that it's going to leave like a long lasting impression on me necessarily, but I was entertained throughout. Uh, so yeah, I, I think I give it a four and a half. Yeah, ben? I'm going to jump. Yeah, I'm going to jump in here. Um, I mean, I, this is a five-star movie because I can't think of really a single flaw that it has. Um, and it does the thing where it's engaging to watch in the moment, which is what I want. And then there's a lot that I'm thinking about. So the moment where it kind of goes to the absolute next level to me is that conversation. So Howard has a conversation with Kevin Garnett towards the very end where he's getting 160 grand from Kevin Garnett in exchange for the jewel. 
And he, he tries to make this comparison that he and Kevin Garnett are the same. Um, look at us. We just, we're going to do it. We're great. We're these kind of guys. We go big. Gives them this metaphor about, look, they're saying you're not going to get this many points. You think they're going to tell you your worth? And, and it matters a lot for him character because it tells you a lot about him as a person and how he's viewing himself and his actions and why he's doing what he's doing. But it also shows you why he's so, so completely wrong. Um, almost none of his success is his own. Um, the only success is that he's exploiting Kevin Garnett's labor in this case, basically. Um, and he, even when he first got the Opal, he's exploiting other people's and he, everything comes back to this capitalism metaphor to me. Um, and the stock market is basically gambling. Uh, we can make it seem more fancy than that, but like you're, you're putting money in because you're expecting there to be an extraction of value from what other folks are doing. That's what investing is. Um, and he's basically investing Kevin Garnett's worth. And there's a shot at the end, Kevin Garnett wins. And there's also talk about hard work and teamwork. And that's how the Celtics are able to win. And that's how the team's able to be successful because obviously, you know, Kevin Garnett's great, but his teammates had to play well also in order for the Celtics to win, which is part of the bet anyway. That was uh, Doc Rivers' real voice, apparently. He came in and he was the Celtics coach and he's the one that gives a speech where Garnett's at halftime and he's like rubbing the gem. And that's where yeah. you, you can't, you you win together, you're... Yeah, you can't move forward together, something like that. Yeah. Yeah, but it's it's about teamwork and working together, and that's how success is achieved. And it's something Howard doesn't do. He doesn't work with anybody, and it's it's an indictment anyway. It, it, that that really, I was able to pay more attention to that moment in the second time I watched, and it really resonates more. And I was able to pay more attention to. But that were there's just a lot going on here, um, as a sort of indictment of of capitalism, or at the very least, just like it's never enough. You always need more. You never like, I mean, with like, you know, Netflix is losing money because they're trying to have growth, which is ultimately unsustainable. You can't grow indefinitely um, and just didn't seem to find stability, didn't didn't put in the hard work and was just trying to look for the quick score. Um, but it's great. I, yeah, I don't think the movie has any any flaws whatsoever. How about you, Eric? Uh, I'm four and a half. I'm with Neil. My, the only flaw is my heart breaks when I see KG in that Celtics uniform and. It, it I'll just, blame the owner of the Timberwolves for that. I, Glenn um, Taylor. Yeah, yeah, Glenn Taylor, who apparently uh, murders animals or whatever. The, all those protests. He, he roasts chickens roast alive. Roasts chickens alive. Yeah, yeah. So, if you, uh, hey, uh, so, I got so an wait, idea. Can I just say Neil. it's not the Safety Brothers' fault that's not a five-star. If it weren't for Glenn Taylor, <laughs> yes. you would give this a five-star. Right, here, so here, here's Taylor's a criticism. You can't give this movie a five-star. Can I give a criticism that oh, uh, that can. comes kind of from my wife? <laughs> um, so so when I when I was telling her that I was going to watch this movie or that that I had watched this movie and I was telling her I really enjoyed it, uh, she brought up the idea. So my wife, uh, as you guys probably both know, is pretty feminist, uh, and she brought up. She asked me, "Are there women in the movie?" And I said, uh, "Yeah, there are. There's uh, he, he's married, uh, and he also has a side girlfriend, <laughs> um, and they're kind of the only women. I mean, he's got a daughter." Uh, but really, those are, I guess, I guess he's got a sister-in-law that we met at someone. But there are not many women in the movie. Uh, and then she asked, she asked a follow-up question, do you ever hear women talking together? And I the guess Bechdel, the, the sister The Bechdel test is what you're asking about. Um, no, I don't okay. think this movie probably doesn't pass the Bechdel test. They're talking about you. They want to see two women talking about something other than, like, their Men, husbands. Yeah, right, right, right. And yep. the other male characters. Um, I, I No, not really. I mean, so, it, well, I mean, I would say... Definitely, you can criticize this for not caring about women's perspective. I would say that's part of the criticism going on. Here, however, cause... though, 
I would say the scene where he, he Howard, when everything starts falling apart with his girlfriend, he goes to his wife and is like, let's, should we, let's give it another chance. Like, let's try again. Like, what do you say? And she's like, I hate you. I hate everything yeah. about you. I never want to see it. Like, I yeah. thought that was pretty, like, it, it would have, I would have disliked it if she was like, okay, let's give it another try. Like, that would have right, been, right. like, you know, no, that a was trope. Honest. And so, I, I will also say, I don't know that every movie has to be, uh, like, a commentary on like it needs to have everything in it. So I don't, it's not, nece- it's not a big issue for me, which is why I'm still giving it a four and a half, but I just thought it was an interesting thing that she brought up that I'm like, yeah, I guess it, it doesn't. And it does not like, I don't know. We get one, one or two lines maybe, which is probably not enough to, I don't know how many times that's happened. I mean, like his, his soon to be ex-wife, like somebody's like, Oh, you still fit in your quinceanera dress. Isn't that amazing? Or not um, bot, bot mitzvah. There we go. Sorry, isn't that a, isn't that? That's a Dina Menzel. El- that's yeah, Elsa. Elsa. Okay, I was gonna say that's El- voice of Elsa, which is kind so of. There's a couple of like throwaway lines, but it doesn't spend a lot of time focusing on the perspective. I mean, we already know that he's a terrible husband and a right. terrible person, and she has reached a point where she hates him, and um, you know, but yeah, I mean, it's it's not interested in the the female perspective. But again, I I mean, I think it's a criticism of this lone wolf. You can make it on your own. Up yep. by your own bootstraps stuff is there. But I would imagine not to defend that, but it, the the Uh-oh. jewel jewel industry in New York is probably heavily dominated by men, and um, basketball players gambling is probably uh, heavily dominated by men. So I, yeah, again, not to yeah. defend it, but yeah, I mean, I yeah, I just I, I I don't have a strong opinion about whether you know the movie should have included more, maybe. So I, I am not a, uh, a film critic, typically. So uh, I, I, I mean, guess neither I, are we. Yeah. I mean, you guys do these shows regularly. And, and you guys, in general, even just like going back to, you know, cafeteria conference, you guys are more like you guys are more critical we're, about we're, films. You give, yeah. a, you give a lot more thought to this stuff. I did a little bit more for this. You're doing one. great, uh, Neil. You're doing great, <laughs> buddy. Appreciate yeah, it, Eric. We're we're, uh, we're enthusiasts, but we're we're not professionals. Yeah. So not I, by a long shot. So I didn't. I I don't go into movies coming from the perspective of like you need to check these boxes. Like there needs to be, uh, a lot. Like they they need to they need to uh, push an agenda or like I don't know. But oh, uh, the uh, feminist agenda is that what you're talking about? Well, appar- well just like, apparently this movie doesn't push the gambling agenda. Agenda. I don't think it does. It does not portray. It unfairly portrays gamblers in a negative light. Yeah. So. No, yeah, it's fine. So I, yeah, but uh, <laughs> your wife is totally correct in that this is movie not interested in the female perspective. I mean, I think that's fair to say. I don't yeah. think it's trying to, which is probably better than lip service or something superficial. Um, right. But I mean, I yeah, I but I, I I love this movie. There's just loads going on, layers and layers of stuff. Um, it it you know, makes me wrong. cry because because of, of Garnett. It just well, again, that's Glenn Taylor's fault, and that's also I guess your parents fault for like having to be born in Minnesota. I mean, you could have been born elsewhere and not had to care about the Timberwolves, you know? Yeah. So, so my dad's from New York. They make some joke about, he's like, send those guys back to Bay Ridge with the goons. That's like literally where my dad was from. So I thought that was kind of funny. <laughs> oh, uh, oh, that explains a lot. Uh, okay. So let's shift gears to the five degrees of field dreams. Um, Neil, you can just kind of, Enjoy this. Just sit back right. and enjoy our, our quick. We'll try to rattle through these quick, but connecting uncut gems to the greatest movie of all time, Field of Dreams. Um, ben, you you all set? You want to do this first? Yeah, let's do it. I'll jump in. Um, so obviously this movie stars Adam Sandler. Uh, you know, I guess I'm maybe a little ashamed to say, but I, I'm going to be honest. Um, 
I was once a really huge Adam Sandler movie fan. You don't have to be I ashamed was... of that. Happy Gilmore? Come on. That's yeah, fine. But yeah, the, the Billy Madison and Happy Gilmore era and through Waterboy, I, were some of my favorite movies uh, of all time. Um, back then, they aren't anymore. Um, and the exact moment Adam Sandler lost me was probably anger management. Right when that came out, I was like, oh my, what? I think I'm done. I don't think I like these anymore. I think I've aged out at 17 or whenever that movie came out. But he's in, um, Adam Sandler's in Billy Madison. Right. I mean, this guy would have probably told you that's the funniest movie of all time if you'd asked me when I was 15. Uh, and so he's in he's in Billy Madison, the guy named Bradley Whitford, who plays the jerk corporate guy who's trying to take over or steal his you know family's inheritance um, and run the hotels because he's too much of a screw up. Uh, and Bradley Whitford's in a 90s legal thriller called The Client. Uh, I don't know if any of you remember the client, but there was a sort of rash oh, yeah. of like legal theories, like uh, Pelican Grisham, Brief. right? John Grisham. Yep, yep. And Pelican Brief, there was just a nice run of those. And he's in the client with Tommy Lee Jones, who is in JFK with um, Frank Wally or Kevin Costner, whoever you want. Um, and then that gets us back to the field of dreams. Okay. Nice, nice work. Uh, so I went with Lakeith Sanfield. He's in uncut gems. Uh, he's really great in this movie. I, He's been in, he's like in everything now. He's in Knives Out. He's in Atlanta. Dude's just like all over the place. He, I think he's really he's good great. in this movie. He's um, great. His character, like, so is he just like Howard pays him a cut to bring like athletes or rappers or like people that want to buy jewelry into the store? Yeah, yeah. He gets, yeah, he, he gets a finder's fee basically for getting somebody into yeah. the jewelry store to, to pay for stuff. Yep. Yeah. So he's great. He's also in Get Out, another phenomenal Jordan Peele movie. Oh, absolutely. Uh, Catherine Keener is in Get Out um she's in a film called adaptation interesting thing about katherine keener she's also so adaptation love that movie but um it's kind of a riff on being john malkovich because it's about the guy that wrote it anyways in being john malkovich side note she rolls a joint and it's honestly some of the like it's like movie porn to me the way she rolls a joint Uh-oh. but i'm just gonna <laughs> x-rated podcast all of a yeah, sudden i'm just gonna see a woman roll that. a joint just the right it's, way for it's her. incredible uh, okay. All right, so jumping back, adaptation. Uh, Chris Cooper is in that, and he's in a movie called The Company Men. I never saw it. It's about like guys getting laid off at a company. Sounds dark. Uh, Kevin Costner's in that movie, and he's also in Field of Dreams. So that's how I did that. All right, impressive work. Thank you. That's what we do, Neil. It's the whole uh, shtick of the podcast. So before we jump to the next film, Neil, anything you want to say about Uncut Gems? Any last words? Uh, I really enjoyed it. It was, uh, yeah, it was, I, I wasn't sure I was going to because I knew it was going to be intense and because I had seen such divergent views on Twitter. Uh, but yeah, I, I enjoyed it from the jump. It was just had me, had my attention the entire way. So uh, nothing else to say, but yeah, I really, I would recommend it. I was going to say, I think, you know, like, I guess Twitter maybe has kind of a divergent view, but I think that, like, critically, it's pretty well, like, I was just looking up the Rotten Tomatoes score, but it was a well-reviewed movie. It made quite a bit of money, too. So, like, uh, A24 is the studio that made this. Um, you know, they've had some, like, I, I like, I, honestly, I like a lot of the movies they put out, but I think at the time, this was, like, the highest grossing movie that they had ever released. Um so yeah, uncut gems, ninety-two percent Rotten Tomatoes. So it's it's a pretty well-reviewed movie. Yep. Yeah, it's great. But if you haven't uh, seen it, and we didn't spoil it for you. I highly recommend watching it. Absolutely. Okay, Ben. Since the next movie is your pick, 
We're going to do a little movie trivia. Neil, feel free to join in. Um, <laughs> Ben's going to – five clues, right? You got – or four clues, or I don't know how many you did. I have five. I did five. five so I thought that's the arbitrary rule we set. Five. So you can guess – for the next film that you're going to do. Is this yep. what we have? So ne- next week's episode, Ben's going to re- reveal in giving us clues, and we're going to guess it. You get one guess. If you're wrong, you're out. So you can wait <laughs> – Wait, yeah. uh, or you're you know, out and you're embarrassed forever, deal. Give, yeah. You can guess as many times as you want, but uh, okay. Ben, are you all set? You ready to go? Oh, I'm ready. Um, okay. and, and this is one of those ones where we delayed and I, I oscillated. There's a lot of different directions could go, but my brain got stuck on one particular movie that I just like, okay, I really want to watch this one. So I'll start with the year. The first, first clue is 1986. I don't think you're probably going to have a guess yet. Um, the director of this movie is the same person that directed the movie Grease. I'll tell you the name of the person too, just because I don't think you know who directed Grease. It's a person named Randall Kleiser. Does that help you? Are we allowed to use our phones? Uh, please don't. <laughs> um, yes, you could very easily pull together a list of every movie yeah, that person's directed. I bet Google probably knows the answer. But. Yeah, probably I just put that into IMDb and it would tell me exactly the movie that he made in 1986. So, yeah. okay. Correct. Yeah, you, yeah, right. Um, so, in this movie is the first use of digital morphing. In film so very this is a very very early cgi effects basically eric's thinking but he's he's not there yet okay uh we also get a very early movie role for sarah jessica parker is in this so this is clue four yeah so we have one more clue yeah um i'm gonna i'm gonna make a guess go ahead i, I could probably is it rocky horror picture show no, it is not. Okay. I think that's a 70s movie, um, early 70s. And I don't think there's any CGI in it, but fair enough. Okay, all right, I'm out. All right, oh, uh, here's the last one. I don't think it's going to be any helpful. I mean, I think the, uh, you know, I, I don't know, this is probably too obscure of a movie, but here's here's a quote. If I stay, the scientists will experiment on me like a guinea pig. The response to that quote is, if I take you back in time, you could be vaporized. It's very risky, David. Uh, okay. So you say I, it's obscure, so it's probably not going to be Back to the Future. Uh, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna guess a movie that I know that Ben likes, Pet Cemetery. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, uh, no, it's not Pet Cemetery. Right, I, I think um, I have another guess. Can I go ahead? <laughs> break my rule. Is it Howard the Duck? Nope. That's oh. a, that's a, not bad. You're off by a couple years, but that's pretty close. But George didn't George Lucas direct no, that? No, um, we talked about that. He oh, he produced actually, it. Yeah, he produced it. I don't know who directed it, but okay. Um. Well, no. So it's a movie called Flight of the Navigator. Have oh, you heard of that? At, oh, dude, have I heard of Flight of the Navigator? It's a movie I, I, haven't, <laughs> I haven't seen since probably 1992, and I just really have the bug to rewatch it. So that's what we're doing. Flight of the Navigator. A family movie. That's this is our first sort of kids family movie. Yeah, very much a kids movie. Well, we'll see if there's it's the 80s, so maybe there's more weird stuff in it, but um. You know, a different version of family movies in the 80s as opposed to 2022. So we'll see. Uh, but yeah, Flight of the Navigator is the next movie we're going to do. All right. Well, parting shots. Neil, thanks for joining. Um, so high stakes, me. high stakes, right? That's where we can see you on YouTube. Is, the, is there a yep. URL or just search high stakes? Search high stakes. You can find me on Twitter at PlayerQDFS, and it is my pinned tweet. We'll get you to the high stakes playlist on the Osmo YouTube channel. And there's also a podcast version, right? There's, yeah, can... there's a podcast version and a YouTube version. Awesome. We'll keep winning those big uh, big pots. 
I'll try. And, it's been and I hope, a little while. I, 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 Neil, I hope you make so much money that you can start giving some away to your former coworkers who you remember fondly. <laughs> I will. I, I have a lot in my department specifically that I just really want to give money to. So Okay. <laughs> So, yeah, so we can relive the moment when we win big and we can say, holy shit, I'm going to come. Yeah, exactly. I think that's actually what I said, too. <laughs> the Millie Maker. All right. Well, have a good one. Bye. <laughs> Bye-bye.